Welcome to Sweet Bitter, where we explore the untold history of women and queer pirates. We're your hosts, Ellie Bridgeta and Lisa Charlotte. This episode, we'll be talking about Xingxi and 20th century Chinese piracy. But before we get into that, let's welcome our resident pirate expert, Elise, for a quick game of Factor Fiction. Hi, y'all. Hi, Elise. Hey, friends. I'm excited. Last last week's Factor Fiction got real intense. I was like, we talk for like 20 minutes about the Factor Fiction. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm so jealous. I missed you guys. I know. Did you win last week's Factor of Fiction, Ellie? I think I did, didn't I? So last week's Factor of Fiction was if pirates had jewels, and I am dying to know because I have not yet listened to that episode. Do, do pirates have jewels? Duels? I feel like my accent really fucks people up on that word. Oh, I literally was like, what's a jewel? What do you mean jewels? See, this is why we need to recap it, because we didn't have my accent saying duels. <laughs> okay, yes, duels. I actually did crush this one. I do remember that. Beca- and it was because of Hamilton that I got it correct. Oh, what? Yep. But Hamilton's not a pirate. Yeah, but duel- the duels that they do in Hamilton are very similar to the type of duels that pirates do. One, two, three, yeah. four. Five, six, seven, eight, yeah. nine. <laughs> Crazy. But yes, I remember it now. <laughs> and I did great. So let's okay. let's do this week's. Let's I'm ready. Okay, okay. <laughs> so in the movies, pirate ships are enormous. They're like the biggest kind of ship. Is that fact or fiction? Were pirate ships enormous? I feel like that uh, fiction. I don't think it's true. It doesn't make sense to me because it would be easier to take a small ship. Or it's like sometimes, but I wouldn't say it's the norm norm, you know? That's my that's my answer. All right. I have to argue facts, but <laughs> I do also I do think it's fiction. I'll add one more thing to it, which when we talk in this episode, we'll I think talk a bit more about, mm-hmm. which is like that pirates had a huge or some pirates had really large fleets, mm-hmm. like multiple ships. But those ships were probably smaller. Ellie, you're too good at this game. I feel like you're right. <laughs> like, you're too good. But I didn't like, sub you out. I did the interviews, <laughs> though. I did the interviews for this episode. So I, I'm sorry. I know too much. <laughs> but let me argue fact just for fun. Okay. Is that even though they were in fleets, the main ship was huge. Okay. Right? So they would have all these, like, small boats behind them, but their main ship was gigantic. And that was because they were trying to intimidate their enemies, as they always wanted to, right? Like, if you see this huge ship with these, like, intense mass coming towards you, you're just going to surrender. Even if there was, like, two people on that huge ship, you have no <laughs> clue how many people are on it. The Trojan horse of pirates. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was, like, an intimidation tactic for facts. That's my... That's my fact defense. Amazing. What is it, Elise? Elise, put us out of our misery. I guess it's technically Lisa who said fiction is is right. (laughs) Technically. (laughs) Yeah, but you both got it right. So yeah, the pirate ships could come in any size. It just depended on what kind of ship they had captured. So if they captured a slave ship, which were the biggest out there because they had to fit so many human beings on them, which is fucked up they would have a really huge ship. But for the most part, they needed ships that were small and could go really fast to capture the big merchant ships. And so smaller ships were faster, and especially in the Chinese piracy that we're going to be talking about today, they were, like Ellie said, 
vast, vast, vast fleets of thousands of small ships. Fast and furious, would you say? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I really had to. Yes, vast and fast. <laughs> Mast and furious. <laughs> Is that what you just said, Ellie? Did you say that or did I hear you say that? No, you heard that incorrectly, but that's honestly hilarious. So yes, I did say it. <laughs> Great joke. <laughs> Ellie, you're hilarious. Does that mean we can cover Fast and Furious for a bonus episode of Patreon, please? Yes, please. because really, I mean, to be fair, it is about pir- It is about land pirates. It yeah. is about pirates, kind of. Land pirates. It definitely is. We can do Fast and Furious 2 where they end up on a boat, and that's enough of a connection for me. Sounds good. Because they do. In the second one, they, like, jump off the side because it's very realistic. They jump onto a boat. There you go. In the river. Oh, Fast and Furious 2 has one of my favorite scenes in Fast and the Furious, which is a scramble scene. I know no one asked for this information, but I'm going to share it <laughs> because I love the Fast and Furious, which is the one where there are literally cars coming out of an airplane and like fall into Earth. Oh, like when they at the beginning jump out the plane yeah. or when there's a plane like on the tarmac trying to take off for like an hour. No, no, no. The one where they're jumping out of a plane in the air. I'm pretty sure that's Fast and Furious 7, but I could be wrong. Jesus Christ. Yeah, 7. They're like, we really need to think of some new shit because cars are getting, you know. Well, in the <laughs> most recent one, they go to space, which I, everyone, people were like, I can't believe it. I'm like, this is exactly what I'm looking for in this film franchise. I am, what, you're in a fucking Pontiac in space? That's amazing. I love that. Where else do you get that? It's so good. Um, that's outrageous. Anyway, so Mars and Furious, Ridiculous. if only we did clever like podcast titles instead of our very literal ones that would be the title of this episode that would be it but i just yeah. feel like this is a missed opportunity we need a series of movies called mast and furious about gay pirates chasing ships really fast you know this would be a porn right oh my god even better <laughs> like especially yeah. with the punny title make it like <laughs> why do you have to go to porn elise it doesn't have to be porn it could be a, a very great film franchise that goes for many seasons and has The Rock and Vin Diesel and maybe not. Maybe the women equivalents of them. It would be great. It would be great. I'm up for whatever. I think we should just cast Kira Knightley, but she's not, you know, like she's completely different from her character in Pirates of the Caribbean. She's like just super gay. Yes. Who would be our cast members for that? I mean, I just feel like you get the Yellow Jackets cast and then put them into this. Put them on a boat. Yeah, I'm here. For, I'm here for that. Yeah, I really want to watch Yellow Jackets. Like, I'm, I'm too scared, and I keep like looking at the cast, and I'm like, I want to watch this so bad, but I'm gonna have nightmares. Oh, and... I did have nightmares. I had nightmares. I want to watch it, but like, who, who has a Showtime subscription? Like, Jesus, I have every subscription except. Well, the L word is on Showtime. Showtime Elise. has all the gay stuff. Yeah. The L word and Generation Q. No, I hate Generation <laughs> Q. I hate it. It's- Showtime actually has amazing content. But like, it honestly, every show I've watched on Showtime has been amazing. Like, I've just been watching House of Lies, in- incredible. Um, How to Become a God in Central Florida with Kirsten Dunst. Ooh. So good. One of the best, like, limited series. Showtime's great. Okay. My ex has cable, so, um, and, like, they're very, like, okay with me using it for the rest of time, so. That's really nice. Shout out. We just started Dickinson on Apple TV, which, as, like, an actual poetry scholar, I can tell you is so good and historically accurate and and sexy. It's not nearly as gay as Dickinson was, but it's just so much fun. 
But also, Elise, you just started it. We're almost through the end of season one. Okay. Well, does it get gayer? Because I heard season one was the gayest. Elise has a child. We need to let up on Elise. No, no, no. I'm saying about the gayness because I just finished oh, season. Oh, it gets gayer. I just finished season two. But to be fair, season two is like not gay until it is. Like the last episode is so gay. Oh, good to know. Yeah. Is it, but is season three going to be gay? I hope so okay. because season two ended very gay. And so I think season three is like That's really cool. leaning into it. I mean, the thing is, Sue was her lifelong lover and exactly. like, life partner. There, there were really no other suitors for Dickinson, period. But they have to like mix it up on the show, which I understand. I hate that they give Emily Dickinson any male suitors. I know. Yeah. It just isn't realistic. I hate it. The, the death thing is really on point. Like, she literally thought death was her boyfriend. So that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, yeah. She's but always riding around with death. This yeah. fucking Friday Night Lights jock, like, whatever. I, I don't. You know, I don't need him. No, and then she has another male love interest in season two as well. Like, it's too much. But it's, it's, if it were historically accurate, I'd obviously be fine with it. It's just like, that just isn't really true to like her, you know, what we know at least of her experience. But the, the death boyfriend on point, we can have a death boyfriend. As in, death is her boyfriend? Is that the point? Yes, death. Like, death. Oh, yeah. She like, she talks about death yeah. a lot. Oh, yeah. She talks about having sex with death. She talks about mm. death taking her out for carriage drives. It's yeah, great. yeah. She, she, and death is a reoccurring character in Dickinson. Like, he'll come, he comes back all the time. Because I could not stop yeah. for death. Yeah, exactly. That's the first episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's so good. And death is like young, like a mini, like Snoop Dogg kind of character. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Oh, what? Yeah. Is it actually Snoop Dogg? No. No, it just kind of like, it, that's the vibe of him. But he's in everything. Yeah, like he's constantly like smoking a joint and just like relaxed and... What? Okay, I need to watch Dickinson. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. All right, how are we going to turn this back into the episode? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you one fun fact, which is that I don't know if y'all saw Captain Phillips with Tom Hanks as, as the... I watched this for my research. It's it's really, you know, it's really problematic. But one of the... So it's, it's about the true story of this freight cargo ship Captain... This actually happened in 2009 that his ship was hijacked by Somali pirates. And it does do a really good job of showing the small boat, big boat thing. Because he's on this enormous cargo ship that's that's carrying like, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of stuff. And they're on a like two person speedboat. And that's all they need to take this whole ship. Right. So I, I do think it does a pretty good job of showing that element of piracy. Nice. Yep. All you, like all you need is a small, fast ship. And some weapons and intimidation. And there you go. You're going to get have the biggest fleet. And that's what we learned from Fast and Furious. Hmm. <laughs> Way to bring it back. Way to bring it back. Yeah, I brought it back. I couldn't help myself. Yes. Just to, just to bring it full, full circle. You're yeah. like, I want to bring it back to Pirates. And I'm like, I want to bring it back to Fast and Furious. Okay, Elise. <laughs> Thank you so much. We are going to have a break and collect ourselves. And we're back. As we said at the top of the episode, today we're discussing Chinese women pirates and Chinese pirate sexuality in the 19th and 20th century. We'll hear a bit from lawyer and pirate expert Laura Duncombe and a bit from historian and pirate expert Jamie Goodall on this episode. Unfortunately, we are unable to get a Chinese pirate expert to join us, so Elise is going to join us for the full episode to share some of the research she's done. The first pirate we'll be talking about is Cheng Yi Sao, an early 19th century pirate who historians consider the most successful pirate of all time. Here's Laura. She is, by any conceivable metric, the greatest pirate of all time, male or female. You know, Blackbeard, at the height of his power, maybe had like a dozen ships, and he was active for 
a couple years. Cheng Yisao, at the height of her game, had 1,200 ships and 40 to 60,000 pirates under her command, which is larger than most of the legitimate navies of her time. She made more money. She was active for longer. She came out on top and wasn't caught or captured. There is no comparison to any pirates that ever lived to to Ching Sao. And it is absolutely mind-boggling to me that she is not like a cereal box, you know, recognizable figure. I feel like every child in the world, you know, if you know who Captain Hook is and if you know who Blackbeard is, like you should know who Cheng Sao is. And it is just a crying shame to me that she is not shouted from the rooftops and little girls dress up like her every year on Halloween because she is just incredible. So she started out life working in a brothel in modern-day Canton, China. And then she marries this small-time pirate, Cheng Yi. So Cheng Yi Sao is not her name. We don't know what her name is. Cheng Yi Sao just means wife of Cheng Yi. There are many different spellings of, of this name because there's two different Englishization, Romanization of, of Chinese characters. However you call it, we, we just don't know her name. It's, it's lost to time. But so she marries Cheng Yi and they spend their honeymoon fighting as mercenaries in the Taesong Rebellion, which is, you know, sort of modern day Vietnam. And they learn over there, even though the side that they're fighting for is ultimately unsuccessful, that one ship is pretty great, but two ships is twice as powerful. And if you've got five ships, well, heck, you're, you know, you're in business. So they bring home the lessons that they learned fighting in the Taesong Rebellion to China with this idea to start a pirate confederacy. They just want to work together. And they're building this up with some success when Cheng Yi dies in 1807. He, we don't know exactly how he died. He may have been swept overboard. He may have died in battle, but he's out of the picture. And so this fledgling fleet, sort of like on the brink of becoming huge, is suddenly leaderless. And so Cheng Yi Sao decides, well, she's going to take the reins. It wasn't Entirely unheard of for a woman to take over after her husband died in Chinese culture, particularly in Chinese, you know, sort of maritime culture. A lot of fishing boats were run with both families. And, you know, in the lower classes, there was a lot less like ladies sitting at home being pretty and men out doing work things because they just simply couldn't afford it. So, you know, entire families would sail on fishing boats together. But it was unprecedented, just sort of the scope and the scale of this project that she took over. So... Hold on just quickly, Elise. I thought that we were talking about Shangxi today. Is Cheng Yi Sao Shangxi or is it, sorry for my terrible pronunciation, but is it the same person or are they different people? Yeah, they're the same person. She goes by two different names, but essentially we don't know her real name. Just like Laura says, her name means the wife of Cheng Yi. But yeah, you can call her either one, Shangxi or Cheng Yi Sao. Oh, amazing. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, I mean, in addition to what Laura just mentioned, we also read some research by Diane Murray online. She's a a historian of Chinese piracy, and she writes about how women in China at this time had very little access to official power or, like, positions in state institutions. So unusual for us women. (laughs) Never heard of it. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so much has changed. They they couldn't work for the government, which were really the best jobs you could get. And Confucian ideals at the time, you know, really dictated that women be submissive and docile and stay at home. So she's really unusual for that reason. When when she married Chang Yi, he was one of like a dozen pirates vying for power on this big fleet, and she helped him rise to power. Like she was a political mastermind. 
And, you know, he was kind of like the the unifier and the like boss guy, but she was the organizer behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, when I talked to Laura, too, because we also see that like after he died, she took over. It was like that stupid saying, but whatever, behind every great man is a woman, blah, 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 is like literally he was a figurehead, <laughs> like I feel like, where it's like she right. was the yeah, mind. Totally. She was the person yes. who organized everything and was like, all right, do what I say. And he's like, okay, cool, I'll do it. You know, like that's what it feels like. Totally. Like she was. Totally. Like the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck and she turns exactly. it every way she wants. Exactly. <laughs> Like, he's, like, theoretically there, but she's, like, do this, do that. Yeah, she's, like, the puppet master. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's why, like, I mean, speculating, but even after he died that she just, like, rose into power because everyone probably was, like, okay, yeah, she's been doing everything this whole time. Do you low-key just think that's why we live longer? It's just, Yeah. (laughs) We're just, like, puppeteering someone else, and then we're, like, all right, I guess I'll do it myself. (laughs) At the end, yeah. Yes. What she did after her husband died is is even more interesting and scandalous. So I'm going to let Laura explain that. And then you'll hear from Jamie Goodall, who we just want to note, she is a military historian, but nothing she says here represents the views of the U.S. government. But here's Laura. She appointed their adopted son, Cheng Pao, to the head of the red flag fleet. So all of her fleets were organized by colors. It's the green flag fleet, the red flag fleet. And that is the the hardest part of any discussion about Cheng Yisao is getting out the words red flag fleet. So her largest fleet is the red flag, and she puts Cheng Pao in charge. Lineage at this point is very important in China, so they don't have any, you know, blood heirs. So he's sort of their adopted son. And then she marries him also. So she's got complete loyalty on him seven ways to Sunday. And so he is going to do whatever she says. Then she writes this code. It's not unusual for pirate ships to have a code of conduct. You know, many pirate ships, particularly during the Golden Age and like the Buccaneer era, had contracts that you signed that said, you know, this is what we're going after. This is how long we're going to be out. And this is the share of treasure that I agree to. But this code was notable for its sort of like absolute harshness. Most offenses were punishable by death. Notably, rape of female captives was punishable by death. If you found a female captive that you liked, you could marry her with permission of Cheng Yisao, but if you were unfaithful to her, then you would be punished by death. So she knew to control 40 to 60,000 people. She was going to inspire absolute obedience to keep everybody in order. And so this code accomplished that. And she just grew her empire and just got bigger and bigger and was more and more successful until she became the best pirate of all time. To be a woman and to oversee that many pirates, she had a lot of rules that like men had to treat women with respect. They couldn't just bring sex workers on board and treat them poorly. You know, she had a lot of rules regarding treatment of women, which I thought was very fascinating. That's some Sweeney Todd shit right there. Like, <laughs> oh my word, I'm just grooming them to be my freaking partner. Yes. How old was he when he was adopted? Because if he was adopted as an adult, like, sure. But if she raised him, like, I don't know, it's just really icky. It makes me feel ugh. Though I am with her on the whole killing people who mistreat sex workers. Maybe we should bring that back. I don't know. <laughs> feels, feels right. I'm not for the death penalty. It's a joke. I feel like I need to very blatantly say that. But I like the, you know, the, the vibe of it. Oh, yeah. Because, right, we know the pirates love codes. They all have codes. But under her code, 
it was really strict. Like there were punishments for desertion, pilfering, absence, or, you know, sexual offenses against female captives. And the, and the penalty for rape was death. So you, you could marry one of the like captives you could, which is sketchy. You could, you could marry one of the, one of your captives, but then you had to remain faithful to her. You couldn't fool around on her or Cheng Yi Sao was going to come for you. I love So that. here's, here's, here's Laura talking a little bit more about just how good at her job Cheng Yi Sao actually was. Cheng Yi Sao was so good at her job that some people thought that she had supernatural abilities and you know, I tend not to ascribe much to those theories, but there was a point when she was under siege for about a week. And China thought finally they were going to get her. And they had blockaded her ships in the small, narrow bay and trapped, you know, not her entire 12,000 ships, but the ships that she was on and, and the fleet that she was currently sailing with had been blockaded in the bay. And people were coming from all over China to see the end of Cheng Sao because surely there was no way she could escape this. I mean, I'm, I'm just imagining people like setting up lawn chairs, like in like a, you know, a NASCAR style, like just like, oh man, she's totally going to get it. For their pièce de résistance after, you know, sort of blockading them for a week, they sent two fire ships sailing towards her. So a fire ship, if you're not familiar, is exactly what it sounds like. You take a wooden ship and you set it on fire and you sail it towards someone. And, you know, because ships don't have, at this time period, don't have motors, they don't have, you know, they're at the mercy of the winds, you can't really move quickly to escape, particularly the, you know, the the sailing ships don't have oars. So they're just, you're, you're sitting duck for these fire ships. Then suddenly the wind changes and they turn around and come right back towards the Chinese fleet, which immediately scatters in panic as much as they can, as fast as they can. People are trying to get out of the way of these burning ships. And in the resulting confusion, Cheng Yisao and her fleet slips out unharmed, completely unscathed after a week of siege and attempted death by fire. So I just love that. I just, you can't not admire a lady with that kind of chutzpah, I guess. <laughs> that that skill, that ability to be cool in a crisis, and also maybe some supernatural guidance. I am absolutely obsessed with this, like, that they're like, all right, <laughs> the only time where she's even, like, close to being captured, it was like, nope. Actually, even the wind's on my side. Like, (laughs) everything just, like, kept going in her favor. And I also like the idea that, like, maybe she was a witch. Yeah, I hope so. We don't know. Who knows? Maybe she was, like, casting some magic spells on that. You know, we don't know. Oh, my God. That's the character of Master the Furious. (laughs) Chang-Chi, the witch. Like, who controls the winds? Oh, my goodness. That just added a whole other element. Someone make this television show. Yeah, she's like part Storm from X-Men. Yes. (laughs) (gasps) I mean, like, people did, like, really think she was supernatural. She was such a good pirate. I mean, it's the same thing of, like, women, right? Like, the only way she could be that good of a pirate is if, like, she was a witch, right? That is what people are saying, right? It's bullshit. Okay, but the winds thing is crazy. Like, you can't just be so good at piracy that you control the wind. That is pretty pretty wild. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty sus, as my students would say. Sus? That's pretty sus. Yeah, there's literally <laughs> fire coming towards her, and she's like, ah, uh, no, how about back towards you? Like, she, like, Uno reversed the fire. You're like, what's happening? <laughs> Matrix it. <laughs> what's happening? I mean, when I was in this interview, though, with Laura, like, it is, to your point, Lisa, it is crazy that there's not more in our media about Cheng Sao, like, because she literally was the best pirate of all time. And yet, we 
barely hear about her. That like, it's not like, oh, like she's like hiding in this remote corner of the world. She was the best pirate of all time. <laughs> yeah. And like, and people are like, eh, but she's not a man. That's insane. Yeah, where's the Hollywood movie? <laughs> people are like, let's make another Star Wars movie. Yeah, no shade. I love Star Wars, but like, yo, there are so many like in real life interesting stories you could tell let alone the other things we could come up with in our minds without, like, remaking movies, without rehashing old franchises. Like, someone do this. I would die for this uh, series, for you sure. You would die for this. I would. So <laughs> intense. Play your life out. Yeah. Let me just tell you a little bit more about just, like, what made her so great so that any Hollywood filmmakers listening out there can get their facts together. Hyrus is your researches. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, here's my research. <laughs> she was a genius military leader. So at, at the peak of her powers, you have to understand that her pirate confederation was twice as large as the entire Spanish armada. Wow. <laughs> so she was just out there dominating the Chinese Navy to the point that because no one could fight her at sea, her pirates just got bored and started raiding villages and markets on land. And then they got so good that they didn't have to raid anything. They would just extort <laughs> merchant ships for, quote unquote, safe conduct certificates, which is like when someone comes up to your car and is like at a parking lot and is like, I'll watch your car tonight. And you're like, oh, I'm paying you not to break into my car. That's cool. <laughs> yep. So they shared all the loot and riches amongst each other. She was a super shrewd businesswoman and everything that anyone did had to be cleared with her so she was really she had like a tight control on everything she kept extensive records of the booty and just everyone just obeyed her to a t extensive records of the booty there's your porno (laughs) (laughs) she also okay so as far as the the witchy thing here's something really sneaky she would do she would manipulate the pirates on her ship's religious beliefs so they asked the gods for good omens before they would do anything piratey, like take any risks or anything. So she, what she did is on one of her ships, she built this huge temple and hired all these priests. And then she'd fucking tell the priests what to say. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so she... She's fully a cult leader. Yeah. Fully a cult leader. So, okay. So they're like, tell us we're going to be successful in this thing. And she's like, tell them they're going to be successful. <laughs> yeah. That's what's happening? Yeah, totally. That is totally. crazy. Yes, yes. I know. Isn't it crazy? Oh, my God. She's so smart. She's so smart. Like, probably one of the most manipulative women in the history of the world and the most successful. We love That's what it. we see. We can all take lessons from her. Let's go. Oh, my God. Be more manipulative. Takes notes. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Be a puppet master. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't. she wasn't just like ruling by brute force or something. She was just really smart and like savvy and sneaky. And I just love it. It's crazy. So good. So here's Laura about, you know, what happened to her in the end, which is also awesome. (laughs) Probably the best thing about Chingy Sao is she was completely uncatchable. Like I'm trying to think of a word like indomitable doesn't quite do it, but just like 
you know, naval captains would commit suicide rather than be captured by her. Like, everyone's terrified by her. Chinese Navy threw everything they had at her, and they did the thing that they hated to do, which was appeal to foreign powers for help. They appealed to Portugal and then to England. Nobody could stop her. Nobody on earth could stop her. So she decides there's some dissension between the head of Red Flag and the head of Green Flag. And she knows, you know, nothing lasts forever and particularly not a pirate empire. So I'm going to get out while the going is good. So she negotiates a surrender with the Chinese government. We actually have her surrender document, and it is kind of hysterical because it is this very flowery, ornate language, you know, about how, you know, this humble servant of China who has, like, seen the error of her ways, blah, 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 all the while knowing she is holding all of the cards. (laughs) She is completely, she could ask for the moon and they would have to give it to her because they can't stop her any other way. So exactly what she asked for is what she gets, which is a a pardon for all but like a hundred of her pirates. Like almost all of them are pardoned. Her husband is given a job in the Chinese Navy, like a plum posting in the Chinese Navy. She is allowed to keep all of her money, a small fleet of ships. And best of all, there is a fund by the Chinese government put together to sort of help some of her pirates transition to civilian law-abiding life after this life of crime. So not only does she retire, she retires on the government's dime, which is something that no pirate before or since was ever able to negotiate anything remotely like that. You know, Woods Rogers was handing out pardons sort of like pirate to pirate in the 1710s, 1720s, but no one ever single-handedly negotiated the surrender and compensation of, you know, thousands and thousands of pirates. So, I mean... They just don't make them like Chingy Sao anymore. This is such a white dude story, you know? Like, it's a life of crime, and then you're just like, hey, friends in power, give me a cushy government job, and I'll write out my ears. Yep. And yet, Chengi Sao did that for herself. I know. We love to see it. And most of her pirates. And this was a long, long time ago. Yeah, like, and to be fair, we said at the beginning, she had forty to 60,000 pirates at one time. <laughs> Right? She got them all jobs. So, like, <laughs> she took care of a lot, a lot of people. And the government was like, you know what? We'd rather pay you than have you terrorize us. Like, that's literally what happened. Insane. It's the happiest ending of any pirate story, right? Because most of them in the in the golden age in the Caribbean were being just hanged. Like, you know, you knew you were going to be hanged within, like, a few years of starting your job as the piracy. But if you go work for the woman, you're going to retire on the government's time and just live out the rest of your life gloriously a rich person. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, no other pirates have a retirement plan, right? They're, they don't, I love it. Like, that's insane. <laughs> they literally got a pension from the freaking government because she was like, <laughs> like she negotiated it for them. I also do appreciate that about her. And I'm sure her pirates underneath her did because she also could have just negotiated her own. And then fuck all of these guys. Right? Like she could have just said like, oh, just me gets whatever I want. Right. And right. leave all her pirates. But like. She took care of them. That's basically her her society is this utopia. Like in America in the 21st century, you, we don't punish rapists and we don't have at most jobs retirement and we don't have maternity leave. And she had all these things <laughs> in her society. And, oh my god. Be right back getting a time machine. Let's go. Priests that tell you only what you want to hear. Like I want to live on her ship literally. I want to live on her ship. Yeah, I mean it It makes sense why so many pirates wanted to work for her. I mean, I don't think they knew that she was going to get them a retirement fund, right? But 
Clearly, they could tell that she would take care of them in whatever way she could. It makes me think of, and I this is in my mind because I rewatched it the other day, and I know I've, you've watched it, Ali, because we watched it together, is 9 to 5 and how, like, they put in all these things in place for their staff at the end. And then all of the workers, like, productivity goes up by, like, 20% in, like, a few weeks because everybody's just taken care of. Imagine that. Well, that's the thing that drives me crazy about corporate world in America because it's, like, or just around the world is, like, it's really, like, proven that if you just give people good quality of life and a decent salary that they actually will be way more productive and loyal. And help your business. Like, if you actually care about your business growing and being better, what? Like, it's very confusing. Yes. And yet people insist on trying to cut costs and stuff. And it's like, you're not cutting costs. You're just making everything worse for everybody. Like, it just makes no sense at all. It's such a short-term thing. And it's like, been over and over again proven to be wrong and yet still people insist on being fuckwits i'm starting to think that instead of making mass and the furious we should write like a business advice book that that just uses yeah business <laughs> according to chugiso that's like be more pirate the title of the book would be this literal pirate treated her workers better than you are <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's horrifying because it's true we should do consulting work we should just go into businesses and be like there's a company that does that yeah we interviewed one of the people from the company it's called be more pirate but it's more about like it's less about the work culture <laughs> like the democratization of the workplace kind of because that is a lot of what pirates were like it was like everyone had a vote and all that kind of stuff yeah the reason i loved it is because i always said this about terrorist organizations because i study terrorism but like at the same time i was like working in a in a startup and i was like oh wow i could learn so much from terrorists and like people just feel uncomfortable thinking about that but like, it's true, like they're really well organized groups. They're really good at inspiring like loyalty. A lot of them have really good, like, again, like pirates, a lot of them have really good healthcare programs and education programs and they feed people and like do a lot of work on the ground that governments aren't doing. Like you can't just like look at like terrorist tactics are bad, but like terrorist organizations often do quite a lot of good in their communities. Same thing as pirates, right? So like, I think we should stop having such a view of like pirates bad Therefore, there's nothing to learn because obviously there's a lot we can learn from pirates. Especially, especially Changi Sao. Oh my gosh, yes. Like, holy, I love, I just, I'm so excited for, I was so excited for this episode because I interviewed Laura a long time ago. Like, I interviewed Laura over the summer and this part of that interview, like, got me fired up. I was like, holy shit, this woman's amazing. So I'm so happy we're finally getting to this episode and everyone who's listening can have the same reaction and hear more about her. She is in movies, right? There are movies where she's a character. Is she in Pirates of the Caribbean? I'm looking this up. Okay, the only thing I can find is Don't Cross the Dragon Lady, Cheng Yi Sao, which is a podcast episode from Stuff You Missed in History Class oh, nice. from 2011. Oh, she is, there is a there is a character in Pirates of Caribbean. She's in um at World's End. Oh yeah, Mistress Shi- Mistress Ching is in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, but like mm. not enough. I'm s- loosely based. Yeah, loosely. loosely based. Also, like not enough. Not enough. Chengi Sao is Jack Sparrow. Chengi Sao is not. Chengi yeah. Sao is better than Jack Sparrow. Who the fuck is Jack Sparrow? Chengi Sao is the protagonist, not a side character. Oh my god! Speaking of TV shows, though, because this has to be spoken about on the podcast, and this is the most recent recording since then. There is going to be a new series about our friend. 
Taika Waititi is going to play Blackbeard in a new HBO series called Our Flag Means Death, which is a comedy based on <laughs> the life of Steve Bonnet. So Steve Bonnet is, if you remember, that guy who like got bored of his life and was like, I'm going to be a pirate and like hired people to be his pirate crew. There is going to be an HBO Max series about his, like based on his life, obviously it's going to be a comedy and Taika Waititi is going to play back Blackbeard. Nice. How fucking cool is that? Nice. So thank you to everybody who sent that to us. I am like so excited to see this TV series. We'll definitely have to do an episode or something on it. It's going to be amazing. And next, Chengi Zhao series. Give it to us. Yes. Not just, yes. Sorry. I, we got off track. But still, I still exciting. Still exciting. Any pirate series with Taika Waititi in it, like I'm here. I'm here yes. for it. I love him. I'm excited to see him as Blackbeard. It's going to be amazing. Also, like what has he not done? Exactly. Vampires. Pirates. Anyway, we we love Taika Waititi. But anyway, so Shang Chi next. Shang Chi next. We've got to we've got to do it. Okay, Elise. I think you have more things to talk to us about, and we're not a TV series podcast, but let's go. However, yeah. However, <laughs> give us give us more details on Chengi Sao before we finish, because oh, I just love her so much. Unfortunately, I'm all out of details on Chengi Sao, but I have another badass Chinese pirate woman to tell you about yeah before that i'm just gonna give you two quick tidbits that i stumbled across in my research which is that i read another article by diane murray about homosexuality on the chinese pirate ships during Chengi Tsao's time and basically a, one really big difference in chinese piracy in the 19th century versus caribbean golden age piracy is that pirates in the south sea actually had women and children on their ships the women worked just as hard as the men, and they fought alongside their husbands during battles. Sometimes they'd even captain ships. So they were there, there were lots of women out there. There was also lots of same-sex sexuality between male Chinese pirates. Woo! Yeah. So, sorry. <laughs> I, just, I felt like I had to do something. <laughs> Yay for homosexuality. We love it. We have to cheer <laughs> when we hear about it. True. Oh, yeah. It's worth it. This British prisoner of some Chinese pirates named Jay Turner in 1807 wrote that the greater part of the crew are satisfied without women. And he mm. said the pirates were committing crimes against nature. So we all know what that means. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Diane Murray points out this really interesting thing, which is that because there were women and sex workers and wives on these Chinese pirate ships, they weren't fucking other guys because it was the only option, as some people speculate about, you know, pirates in the Golden Age, in the Caribbean. They were doing it because they loved it, because they wanted to, which is fabulous. Nice. <laughs> Yes. Love to see it. <laughs> so in some ways, Chinese pirate ships were even gayer then. Yes. Come through. <laughs> more feminist, more gay. I'm obsessed with this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We huh. need to go and build a time machine. It's going to be great. Okay. Yes. The, it might smell a bit, but, you know, small <laughs> sacrifice. Yes, we've got it. <laughs> Women can't have it all, as we know. Unless you're Chang <laughs> Chi. Yeah. Now I have to tell you about this one last really badass female Chinese pirate named Cheng Shui Ping, otherwise known as Sister Ping, that's what everyone called her, who operated only 20 or 40 years ago. She was big in the 90s. Wow. She was operating in the South China Sea, but she was based herself and her operations were based in New York City. Wow. That is crazy. New York City in the 90s, just like having a pirate, Sister Ping. Yeah. We're like, let's just add to the crime in New York City. How about a pirate? A lot of crime. <laughs> yeah, lots of crime. There's a lot of water. 
<laughs> From the 1970s to the 1990s, she ran an international human smuggling ring. Basically, she was smuggling thousands of Chinese immigrants to the United States and Europe, and she had this vast network of enforcers and minions. She kept this little like shop, like a just like a general store yeah. <laughs> as her front. But she was back there forging passports, forging driver's license, forging green cards, employment authorization cards, social security cards for her wow. clients. So you would show up and she didn't just get you here. She got you here so you could stay. Wow. Okay. But not human trafficking. It was human smuggling. No, no, no. It was, okay. it was like people who wanted to come over, okay. who, who wanted to you know join their families in the U.S. and couldn't. Honestly, dealing with the U.S. immigration system, yeah. I don't blame you all. Yeah. <laughs> she was basically like openly practicing this illegal business. Everyone knew about it. Even the cops knew about it. But she still eluded them for years and made more than $30 million. Wow. In the 90s, too. Yeah. Where is she now? Is she still alive? Okay. So before I tell you what happened to her, I have to tell you about... Sorry, jumping ahead. I'm just like, I need to know. <laughs> it's good. I mean, so like in, in a lot of ways, like what she was doing really wasn't cool, right? Because she could charge people whatever she wanted and they would pay because they were so desperate to get here and, like, the immigration system, it's all fucked up, right? And what she was doing was also really, really dangerous. Like, she was often just putting people into cargo containers and the conditions were really bad. And all of this came to a head with what's called the Golden Venture Disaster. And you can read all about Sister Ping and this disaster in Patrick Rad and Keefe's The Snakehead, which is what I read. Mm-hmm. Basically, there was this cargo ship that had for years been on its way with 286 Chinese immigrants. It sailed from Thailand. It stopped in Kenya and just kind of had to hang out there for a while because they couldn't figure out how to like get safely across the Atlantic. They crossed the Atlantic on a four-month voyage. And then just as they were pulling into their secret like unloading spot in Queens... It ran aground on the Rockaway Peninsula. Mm -hmm. This was on June 6, 1993, at like 2 in the morning. And this is really bad, right? So, like, these people have been on the ship starving and, like, living in their own shit and piss. And there were these enforcers on the ship who were just, like, you know, like, they had guns. They were threatening them. So, once the ship runs aground, like, all these people are panicking. They're jumping off the ship. Ten people drowned trying to flee the ship because they were worried they would get like picked up by immigration, right? Mm. So all these people end up on the shore. Like hundreds of Chinese people are there. Ten have drowned. And the government has no idea what to do with them. So they just put them into jail for years trying to figure it out. And it's a really interesting time because Democrats are like, we have to, you know, like we have to welcome these people into our country Republicans also are kind of on board because they're the the immigrants could say that they were fleeing because of the one child policy and Mm -hmm. Republicans are on board with that because abortion. Right. Mm. But then also there's like a lot of backlash. And so there was just like a lot happening politically. The detainees are just so bored in prison and trying to like ask for their rights that they start making origami, basically folk art, Mm. paper sculptures. They made more than 10,000 of these. You can see them online. They're really beautiful. And you know, these people are just rotting in jail while each of them had paid like $40,000 to be transported to the U.S. I don't know if this is such a big thing in the U.S., but in Australia, like boat people, as like the media calls them, is like a massive, massive 
like political hot button issue. And I think because we are like an island nation, it's like, and because we're right by Asia, there are so many of these people who are like exploiting situations and obviously the lines for immigration, like Australia maybe even has more tight immigration policies than the US. Like it's really hard for people to come and seek asylum and all of that. We have really horrible like offshore detention and whatnot. And these voyages are so dangerous. And like, mm. honestly, like they, they do make up such a small percentage of the people who actually come and, and illegally stay in Australia. Like mm. one of the worst groups for illegally staying in Australia is European backpackers who overstay their visas. But like we never talk about them on the news. But boat people as it is, and I'm sorry, I do not agree with that term, but like just in it, to talk about how Australia talks about this politically they are they are definitely something that is like a big issue that is spoken about all the time in the news, like all the time in yeah. Australia. So I don't know what it's like here and if that's, I mean, you guys have a lot of land migration from like south of the border. So I don't know if it's quite the same here, but definitely in Australia, it's like a big thing. I think with this case, it was just so wild to people because like China's so far away, like, yeah. you know, to, to get on a ship and come all the way. It's like, it's, it's just wild. And it was, it was so... Yeah, it was so huge on the news, and I guess it was just because it's happening all the time, but people hadn't, like, noticed it because Sister Ping was so sneaky. And to New York as well. It feels like yeah. from China, yeah. like, if I'm thinking about where China is correctly, like, it feels like the West Coast is, is right? smarter. But they were coming. They wanted to live in Chinatown in New York, so she was specifically getting them there. Like, they would have had family there or whatever. Mm. That is crazy. I mean, I do think about it, though. Like, there definitely are. I think there's a larger... Asian population on the East Coast because there's like a Chinatown in Boston too. I thought San Francisco was one of the first Chinatowns in the world. Maybe San Francisco too, yeah, because it is closer. They were bringing folks over to work on the railroad and then kicking them out again. Ah. Yeah. But there's definitely like a pretty large Asian population on the East Coast Mm. as well. It makes sense to me, not necessarily Mm distance-wise, but just like that this was happening in the 90s. Well, and that you'd pay for her to like to show up but then for her to make you a passport and everything like it was a one-stop shop and she was based in new york so that's why people were coming to her but um, yeah like i have like friends that i went to high school with who were like first generation american immigrants from china or vietnam or like other asian countries yeah so i'm like curious to see if like any of their families were like a part of this yeah it's so recent yes i know yeah so recent Absolutely not long ago at all. Yeah. I mean, that's like the Amazon Prime of illegal smuggling immigration. Like, she's like, yo, I got everything for you. Give me all your money. Yeah, one-stop shop. Mm. It's so not quite black and white. Obviously, horrific conditions for people who are coming. But, like, she also did help a lot of people come here Mm -hmm. and, like, ideally live a better life, we hope. Just wild. like. But that is, yeah, that is so crazy. So because of, you know, this situation, she ended up being convicted in the U.S. finally and sentenced to 35 years in prison. She was due for release in in 2030, but unfortunately she died in prison in 2014. Oh, wow. So R.I.P. Sister Ping. Oh, damn. One of the more recent pirates, another woman Chinese pirate who was wildly, wildly successful. I mean, we've we have learned so, so much in this episode. I also feel like you could do like an entire show just about Chengi Sao, just about like Chinese piracy. And yet, like we don't hear about it as often as I think we should. What an incredible episode. I'm just like, my mind is completely blown. 
Thank you so much, Elise, for joining us for the whole episode. Thanks for having me. Can't wait for the next one. In the meantime, here's a taste of what's to come on Sweet Bitter. It's something like one in four cowboys who are African-American, and you find a similar representation in the vocation of pilot. A very unique and important intellectual culture of slave resistance, of, of liberation, grew in the maritime districts of the South. If you were an African-American man or woman in a even a little southern seaport, you knew what was happening in Haiti and you were getting the latest abolitionist literature. Thanks for listening to Sweet Bitter. We are back to our regular scheduling and our next episode will be released one week from now on the 24th of February. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It really helps, especially written reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sweetbitter. Sweetbitter is an independent production by me, Ellie Brigida, Elise Knorr, and Lisa Charlotte in partnership with Three Springs Media. Our audio engineering is by Sarah Gabrielli. Our production assistant is Thea Smith, and our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Thank you to our guests this week, Laura Duncombe and Jamie Goodall, and of course, our very own Elise Knorr. You can read more about our guests and where to find them on our website. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SweetBitterPod or contact us on our website, SweetBitterPodcast.com. And this week's sea shanty is, of course, about Chengi Sao. It is called Chengi Sao, Master of Ocean Crimes. Written and performed by Elise with production by Joshua. Here it is. Chengi Sao, greatest pirate of all time. Chengi Sao, master of ocean crimes. She started in a brothel, then made her way to sea. Her pirate husband died, and the rest is history. Crushed the Chinese Navy and sent them to their end. Chang Yi Sao, greatest pirate of all time. Chang Yi Sao, master of ocean crimes. She commanded her fleets and her priests and all their gods. Even the wind obeyed her, her word was strong as law. Chang Yi Sao, greatest pirate.